0: This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. I'm going to be reading Acts 21, 1 through 16, if you'd like to follow along. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Cos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to, on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another, then went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Thanks,
1: Gordon. Well, it's uh, nearing October 31st, and if you're on social media, you're going to see two very different friend groups begin to emerge. One of the friend groups is going to be those who really love Halloween and the spookiness of it and all that's going to kind of come to the surface. But then you have your reformed bros, and uh, they're going to start throwing out memes of Martin Luther all over the place. Uh, Because, like this one, yeah. uh, So Martin Luther, uh, if you don't know, was a... Was a Catholic monk who um, was reading scripture and uh, primarily from Romans chapter 1 where the just shall live by faith and came under conviction that it wasn't through works uh, of the church, but through faith uh, alone, someone is saved, and uh, began to really study Scripture with now uh, Holy Spirit enlightened eyes and saw many, many places where the Catholic Church was teaching false doctrine. And so he boldly nails these 95 arguments uh, to the Wittenberg Castle Wall. Well, uh, he then also began to prolifically write against some of these uh, doctrines. He was convinced by Scripture of truth. So I wrote these things down. And of course, that got the attention of the Catholic Church. And fast forward now to April of 1521 and what we call the Diet of Worms. And if you don't know, Worms is a um, city in Germany and where the, both the secular government and the religious leadership began to examine several different heresies. And Martin Luther was the one remembered the most. And so they come, and they bring these writings, and they spend two days on this. One day, they basically affirm the fact that Martin Luther wrote all of these books, in which he did. And then they said, well, you, will you recant these? And he said, give me a night to just sit and to pray. There was a lot of intimidation, a lot of pressure. The emperor was there. All these religious leaders were there. So he goes and prays. You can read some of those prayers. But then he comes back the next day and is examined. And the uh, kind of moderate moderator at the time was Johann and Eck. And he said the following. And what I want you to do is I want you to put yourself in his shoes, Martin Luther's shoes. You've read some Bible. You're convinced of some truth that's true according to his word. And you're being massively pressured to recant. In fact, here's what he said. Uh, Martin, how can you assume that you are the only one to understand the sense of scripture? Would you put your judgment above so many famous men and claim that you know more than all? You have no right to call into question the most holy orthodox faith instituted by Christ, the perfect lawgiver, proclaimed through the world by the apostles, sealed in red blood by the martyrs, confirmed by the sacred councils, defined by the church and all her fathers, believed until death, and given to us as an inheritance. And now we're forbidden by the Pope and the Emperor to discuss, lest there, there be no end to the debate. I ask you, Martin... Consider candidly and without horns, do you or do you not repudiate your books and the errors which they contain? Strong admonition, what would you do? Well, Martin Luther stands up and gives an answer, and the end of it is here that I'm going to share with you, and it's probably the most influential speech of certainly church history, when he said this. "...since your most serene majesty and your highness require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I will give one, and it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the council, because it is clear that they have fallen into error and even into inconsistency with themselves." If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cognate reason, if I am not satisfied by the very text that I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything, for for it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Bold, undaunted in the faith. I want to challenge us in this today because, come on now, we have massive amounts of pressure to stop believing what the Word of God says and to adopt what common culture is teaching is true. Lots of pressure. Not only that, man, we have our own hearts that draw us away to other things and other pursuits. I want to challenge us this morning that we need to be undaunted in our mission of the gospel going forward, you know, like Paul is here in our text. In Acts 21, Paul is convinced of the Spirit. He's to go and preach the gospel in Jerusalem, and all kinds of pressures are coming to get him off that very path, and he remains faithful and true and undaunted in that. In fact, take a look at this with me, if you will. Go back to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, let your eyes fall on verse 22 to hear him really confirm this passion in his heart. Look at Acts 20, verse 22, which says this, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit uh, testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now watch what he says in verse 24. Let your eyes fall on this, and let's let our hearts be challenged by it. Here's verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. Here it is, to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. That's our challenge. Man, I want that passion that Paul had. I want to say, whatever happens, whatever's ahead, my life forfeit or not, I want to give myself to the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want that to drive everything I do. And if we're going to be honest, And think about the motivations that drive what we do. Is it really the gospel? Now, we all know it should be. We want it to be. But come on now. Don't we live for a lot of other things? Isn't it really, really easy to scope default and to live for your own happiness? To live for your own security. So you're doing the things that you're doing. And the whole purpose of why you're doing them is really so we feel safe or comfortable or people approve of us. And if we're really honest in the depths of our soul, man, it's, it's a challenge to live for the gospel. So that's why we're going through Acts. That's why we're hitting these things again and again. And here's what I want our, our drive to be this morning. So let's write this down. Here's the big idea. Let's be undaunted in our drive for the mission of the gospel. Let's be undaunted in our drive for the mission of the gospel. Now, um, I began studying and working on the sermon. I planned on doing all of this text in one sermon. In fact, I was kind of talking to Drew about this. And I'm like, Man, several of these guys, they broke it into several sermons. I don't know how they did that. Until I began studying, I'm like... Oh, okay. So now we're going to do two sermons on this text. So half of it today, half of it tomorrow. I'm going to, over the course of these next three days, really four convictions I want to share uh, about what it means to be undaunted by the gospel and kind of how we get there. And today I want to talk, first of all, about this. So write this down. I will be undaunted, first of all, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Do you believe the Holy Spirit leads Do you know how he leads? That wasn't nearly as confident. That's what I thought. All right, let's talk about it then. Let's go into it. Because this text is really, it's come under a lot of scrutiny in terms of like, is Paul making a mistake or is he doing what he's supposed to be doing? And there's a lot of confusion. In fact, one preacher, R. Ken Hughes, he preached two messages. Early in his ministry, he preached Paul's biggest mistake. And then later in his ministry, he preached Paul's greatest resolve. And so there's a lot of confusion as to what's happening here. I want to try to help clear it up a little bit. And the reason why there's confusion is I want you to look in verse number four. And by the way, can we all admit can following the Holy Spirit can be confusing? All right. Let's help to add some clarity or hope to have some clarity with that. Look at verse number four. And having sought out the disciples, I'm going to unpack that phrase in a little bit, but we stayed there for seven days. Now watch this. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So there you go, right? The Spirit is telling them to keep Paul from going, but Paul goes anyway. So obviously then Paul's in error to go to Jerusalem. Well, it's not quite that easy, and I want to help um, give us some insight by going back to the text we just looked at. So I want you to go back to twenty. Is Paul making a mistake? Is the question we're asking? Well, go back to twenty twenty-two and see this. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. What does he say here? Constra- sorry, constrained by the Spirit. That word constraint is really strong in the original language. It means to be tied to it or to be bound to it. Listen, Paul is so convinced this is the leading of the Holy Spirit. He feels like he is bound to go to Jerusalem. I have no choice in this, man. The Holy Spirit has tethered me to this task, man. He's wrapped me up in duct tape to it that I need to go to Jerusalem. So he's convinced us of the Spirit, but also watch what he says, Uh, verse number 23, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So what I think happens is the Holy Spirit gives the revelation for Paul that that, that trouble is going to be there and suffering is going to be there. And these people love Paul dearly. And so they kind of interpret what the Spirit is saying to them and saying, well, if suffering's involved, then it must not be of God. (laughs) But the reality is When we serve the Lord, hardships and suffering are a part of that. And it reveals a little bit, potentially, about the believers here in Jerusalem. Maybe they were motivated more by their love of Paul than they were what the Spirit was really saying. Maybe they allowed their own love for comfort and safety to cloud what the Spirit was showing them. It's easy for us to get caught up in the same heart desires that may pull us off our task. And so we have to recognize that suffering and hardship is a part of Paul knew that. Paul knew it from the very beginning of his ministry. In Acts 9, his conversion, Paul comes to Ananias. After Paul was seen the Lord, he was struck blind. Uh, The Lord visits Ananias and sends Ananias to Paul. Then you have this exchange from the Lord to Ananias. He says this, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Watch this now. For I will show him how he must, what should, suffer, for the name of my for the sake of my name. Paul had to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. By the way, I hop back into Acts twenty-one, verse thirteen, where Paul repeats this same passion. This is Paul in Acts twenty-one, thirteen. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem. Here it is, for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to, as your pastor, as your friend, as the one who is called this morning to stand and proclaim the word of the Lord to you, I want to say to you that all of us are called to live the name of Jesus Christ and the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm going to say it really strongly. You ready for this? The Holy Spirit is leading you to give up your life and to give it all for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is telling you to preach the gospel. Now, hold on a second, pastor. How can you stand up there and tell me what the Holy Spirit's telling me? I didn't get a vision. I didn't get some leading or some feeling about all of that. So how can you tell me what I'm supposed to feel, what I'm supposed to see from the Holy Spirit? Well, it all depends on how you think the Holy Spirit leads. First of all, do you believe the Holy Spirit leads? Okay, can you back it up with scripture? I'll do it for you. Here's Romans 8, 14, which says this. For all who are church led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Okay, so we're all led by the Spirit of God if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And, and I hope that you have. Have you believed that Jesus died for your sin? Has there been a time in your life where you understood that you are a sinner unable to save yourself? But God sent Jesus, and when he died on the cross, he paid for your sin. All your sin was paid for by him. Then he rose again over the grave conquering death and conquering sin. And you've known that, you've, you have believe that, you put your trust in that, that Jesus died for me. If you have, you're a son of God. And if you're a son of God, then you're being led by the spirit. And it's really important to know who you follow. It's really important to know who gives the commands because it gets confusing. Who's given the command and what should we do about it? kind of like this story. There's an uh, old British parliament guy, his name was Sir Neil Martin, Sir Neil Martin, and he was giving a tour of the British Parliament to his constituents. And he's there giving them a tour, and uh, another one of his colleagues walks in, and his colleague is kind of dressed in the regalia. And his colleague said, Neil! And all the people around this guy knelt. It's important to know who's given the command. So let's ask the question, okay, how do we know when the Holy Spirit is leading us to something? How does a leading of the Holy Spirit work? And to help you with that, let's look at a teaching from Jesus himself. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. This is Jesus Christ he is teaching his disciples. He is about to ascend. Uh, if you don't know, really, John 13, 14, 15, all of this is happening the night before he goes to the cross. Chances are he is walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, and as he is walking, he is teaching his disciples. Chances are he passes the vines that are growing along the wall in Jerusalem, and in 15, he says, I am the vine. When you kind of understand the teachings the beautiful thing, but as he's teaching, he says this in verse 15 of chapter 14, so John 14, verse 15, now watch this, church, if you love me, you will keep my, what? Commandments, okay, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Interesting. Jesus talking to believers says, okay, he's with you now, but soon he's gonna be in you. And Bible scholars believe this marks a, a change in how the Holy Spirit functioned. Do you remember in Psalm 51 where David prays, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. So we believe back in the Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit would fall on people, but then he would also leave people when they fell into sin. Well, something different happens at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes, and now when we're believers, he's not just with us, he is in us. So we have this ministry of the Holy Spirit who's baptized us into his body is now indwelt us. So if you know Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, you don't always live filled with the Spirit. That is something that we pray for and work for and, and all of that and go to his word for, but we do have the ministry of the Spirit active. Okay, then so what does the Spirit do? He's supposed to be our helper. How does he help? Good question. Take a look at verse 23 of John 14. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves loves me he will keep my church word okay and my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him what uh, whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the world the word that you hear is not mine but the father's who sent me now check this out in verse 25 these things i have spoken to you while i am still with you but The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will, check this out, teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So what does the Holy Spirit do? How does the Holy Spirit lead? He leads through the teaching of his word and then remembering or bringing up in our memory what God's word has said. Okay, uh, test here. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Awesome. You only believe that because the Holy Spirit ignited your heart to believe it. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin? And you believe that because the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God demonstrates His own love towards us. And while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And there's some point in your life when you read those truths from the Word, and the Holy Spirit taught you those things. Do you believe He's coming again? Maybe today? Maybe right now? You believe that because the Holy Spirit taught it to you. Now, another question. How many of you guys grew up in Iwana where you memorized some verses? A couple of you did. A lot of you did. That's awesome to see. I did too. And uh, I remember very clearly um, memorizing Romans 12, 1 and 2. In fact, I got a hodgepodge version in my head now, but I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, as I was started, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And being not conformed to this world, be transformed by the new of your mind, be proved as a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I normally say it a little more clearly than that, but you get the idea. And there have been times when I'll be in a moment and I need that verse, and all of a sudden it'll come to me. What is that? It's the Holy Spirit bringing to my remembrance the things that I have learned. Man, it is frequent that I'm writing a sermon, and all of a sudden be like, oh, yeah. There's a verse over here that says the same thing. It's not because Jamie's so smart. Can I get a witness? Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. (laughs) But it's the Holy Spirit is doing a work in that moment causing the mind to remember. And so do do you get it? It's all centered around his word now what we want for some reason is some mystical vision, something to occur that the Spirit tells me this or tells me that or, or whatever the case may be. And I think we have a whole lot of instruction already that we just need to do well to keep. Now, I'm not saying he can't do that. Can the Spirit give a vision? Absolutely, if he chooses to. Can the spirit work in my heart and lead me someplace? He can if he chooses to, but it's always based upon and compared to the truths of his word. I do believe there's an individual leading of the Holy Spirit. I believe he led me to plant this church. So I didn't read in the Bible, go to Fort Wayne and plant a church. I didn't read that, but I got convicted strongly about the need for more churches in America. And I read in the Bible how he is building his church and I wanted to be a further part of that. And then God opened the doors for us to plant this church here. It's all through, yes, through some very personal moments, but also based upon and guided by the word of God. Now, what I said earlier is, I said the Holy Spirit is leading you to preach the gospel. Right? Remember that. All right, let me prove that to you biblically. Here's one place: Mark sixteen fifteen, where God's word says this: "Go into all the world and read it with me, please. Proclaim the gospel to the whole creation." All right. Any questions? How about this? Here's Acts 1:8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There's that whole incidence of he was with you, but now he'll be in you. It happened at Pentecost and now happens whenever we believe. Okay, so has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Does everybody in Indiana know Jesus yet? Okay, how about everybody in Fort Wayne? How about everybody in your neighborhood? You get the idea, man. We are to proclaim, proclaim, proclaim the gospel, but here's what will happen. And come on, you've probably been here with me, and I've been here in this moment, so I'm not casting any shade, where you're kind of with somebody, and you're in this other setting, and something will come up, and you're like, dude, I could so talk about Jesus right now. I could so just go to the gospel with this, but do I do it? Is the Holy Spirit leading me to do that? You know, I'm not really feeling it, so... Probably not the Holy Spirit's leading, so I'm not going to say anything. Uh, can you uh, give me the universal sign for how reliable your heart is as a guide for the Holy Spirit's leading? Here's the universal sign. <laughs> you don't believe me? All right. I know. I know you've watched a lot of Disney movies. I get it. Go to uh, Jeremiah 17. If you would, please take your Bibles and go to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. I, I need to talk through these things because these things get confused in Christianity a lot. Well, the Holy Spirit led me to do this. Holy Spirit, well, how do you know he did? Well, I just felt it. Well, okay, maybe, but you gotta be careful with that because God's word says something in Jeremiah seventeen nine. So someone be willing to get crazy and just read that out loud for me, Jeremiah seventeen who Who's got that for me? Yeah! Wow! Listen to that—it's like stereo. Uh, the heart is deceitful above all things, and who can understand it? How much do you want to follow your heart? But Pastor, I watched Thumbelina, and I heard all the animals sing. Always follow your heart, and I just—and you hear it all the time. Just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Don't trust your heart. Your heart's deceitful. Trust the Holy Spirit through the revelation of his word. I I respond to I. I don't even know, Pastor. So here's another verse that is my favorite. Tell me to preach the gospel without telling me to preach the gospel. This is 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. I love this. So hear this for us today. Check this out. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Redemption. You're a chosen race. Not everybody has that. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession. But there's a reason for it. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You've been called by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the excellencies of God and what's more excellent than the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the context of this, right? You didn't receive mercy, now you have. You're in darkness, now you're in light. It's all about the gospel, man. Let's proclaim that and let's live for that. God's leading us for us to do it. And I'm telling you, I need that reminder. This is why I wanted to go through Acts, to pound it in my head. Because tomorrow I'm gonna get up in the morning... Go to exercise. I really hope I have the motivation tomorrow to do it. But I'm going to get up and work out. I need to do that more often. I'm going to get to the office and I'm going to just do what I do in the office. And we're going to go to lunch someplace. And I might stop by Meyer and pick some rotisserie chicken up on the way home. And and I'm living life. And I can easily live it for my comfort, for my pleasure, so other people will like me. But am I living it with eyes to see the ripe? harvest around me and seizing the opportunities of proclaiming Christ. But man, if I do that, oh, pastor, if I did that, people don't like that. People at work don't like it. Well, just as Paul was guided to preach the gospel and Paul was warned about suffering, let me share a few things with you. Philippians 1.29, the Holy Spirit says to us, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And in case you're wondering specifically what that's about, here's 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You're not going to muster this up on your own tomorrow morning when you wake up. You're not going to be like, oh, man, I don't want to preach the gospel, but I know I'm supposed to, so I'm not going to be an idiot today. Today I'm going to preach the gospel. Like, that's going to help. You can't guilt yourself into it, but what you can do is you can look to Jesus. You can think about the fact that I was in darkness, but now I'm in light. Man, I was guilty of some really horrible stuff. I am guilty of it. But I've received mercy because of Christ. And because I have all of that, man, I want others to know. And you can say that. And we're going to come alongside you. And we're going to say that too, right? Because we do this together. In fact, it leads me to my next kind of conviction about this in the text. Through the leading of the Spirit, Paul was led by the Spirit. But also this, with the help of other believers, with the help of other believers. Hey, church, we need one another. Say that with me. We need one another. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. And Paul needed others. Look at this in the text. We're going to go to verse number 1 and just kind of read through this again. Here's uh, Acts 21, and here's verse number 1, Acts 21, verse number 1. And when we had departed from them, we set sail, and we came by a straight course to Kos. In fact, go ahead. Uh, would you put that, that, um, the, first, the letter A under that if you're taking notes? And so many people are really, you need those notes. So here it is. Paul needed practical help. Write it down. Practical help. Because it's true, he did. But I want to show you this map. So as I read, kind of picture this map a little bit, and you can kind of see the the pathway here. So here's uh, 21 verse one. And when he had departed from them, he set sail, and we came by straight course to Kos and the next day to Rhodes, and from them to Patera. Okay, so you see that? That's a little, it's kind of hard for you to read, but there's Miletus to Kos, Kos to Rhodes, Rhodes to Patera. Lots of interesting things about those cities, by the way. Rhodes is the city of roses. Uh, Patera is where the, um, uh, um, what's his name? Hippocratic Oath, Hippocrates was from there, had school of medicine anyway. Doesn't really push the ball down the field. But then they set sail to Tyre, and that was the long journey. That was five days in a boat and at at Patera, they got into a bigger ship because they needed like a long ship to make this longer uh, sail. They got to a bigger ship and they sailed all the way to Tyre. Now, since it's a cargo ship, and by the way, you can see, we left Cyprus on the left, it says, because that's what they did, and they got to Tyre, and then at Tyre, it's really interesting. So I want you to, to just notice now in the text how Luke, who writes this, paints the picture of Christian relationships and there's some beautiful things going on here. In fact, all the way back in verse number one, it's kind of hard to see in the ESV, but he said this. And when we had parted from them, that word in the original language is like tearing yourselves away from one another. So Paul was with these Ephesian elders at Miletus. And and they had this incredible exchange where Paul says, you're not going to see my face anymore. And they wept and they prayed. And that word there in, in chapter, in verse number one, is they had to tear themselves away from them. And then he goes to Tyre. And take a look there at verse number five. When our days uh, were ended, we departed yeah you know, so when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. Look, Paul didn't plant this church entire. We don't know how it got planted. Paul's never been here before. Paul planted another church, probably planted the church entire. Tyre, but, but even then, Paul's soul is so connected with these people in the, in the matter of seven days that they go and they kneel and they bring their kids and their wives and they kneel on the shore and they pray for him and just Paul needed them. He needed the practical help after being on a boat for five days, he probably needed a place to stay, probably needed some food, probably needed a shower if they took showers back in that day, whatever he needed. But he did some things, and they were there to help him. And when we go and proclaim the gospel, do you know we can't do that on our own? i got to say this, because you know, Drew said this earlier, that we came to the city of churches. Why would you plant a church in the city of churches? Do you think you're better than all the other churches? And the reality is, no, we don't, but we got a big job to do. How many people are in Fort Wayne? There are hundreds of thousands of people here. And if we're going to preach the gospel and see people saved and disciple them, man, the church in America is on a rapid decline. And we need the help of other ministry partners to get the job done. Do you believe that? Adam preached a fantastic message last week all about Christian partnership. And he shared from Philippians chapter 1, I think my God... In all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We need to be partnering with churches that also love and preach the gospel and ministries. And uh, I love the video that Moden showed. You know, we are a big part of Moden's financial support. He can do what he's doing in Croatia because we send him a check every month to help him get that accomplished, and then people are getting saved people are getting baptized. And then moderns pouring into this group in Uganda and they're supporting children in Uganda so they can have food. Isn't that cute? What's your favorite part of what we do for you? The food you give me? That's my favorite part. Uh, but it's awesome that through those that love, they're hearing the gospel being preached, and we're, we're training Ugandan pastors to make disciples there. All of that is practical working together. But even more than that, we need spiritual encouragement. Paul needed spiritual encouragement. And this scene where they're kneeling down by the beach and praying together is so beautiful. And I'm telling you, there's something powerful that happens. Look at me now. There's something powerful that happens when God's church, God's people come together and they pray to God. You see it all throughout Acts. Here's Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with Boldness. Powerful things happen, church, when God's people come together and cry out to God together. Jeremiah 33, three says this, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and hidden things you don't know. And I want us as a church to come together and cry out to God and call on him to use us here in Fort Wayne for his glory as we are undaunted in the preaching of the gospel. And that's how we're going to end our service today. Would you get with uh, some folks around you? And what I want you to do is spend a few moments here in prayer and I want you to go before God, and I want you to ask him to do some things. Here's some uh, prompts for you to pray through, and don't feel like you have to get through every single one of them, but uh, pray through a couple of them, and after you've prayed for a while on your own, I'll come up here, and I'll close us in prayer. So get with somebody, and let's pray together.